and, and not give another announcement about where they're coming from. When he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent by the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. Then the men seized Jesus and arrested him. One of the men, one of those standing near, drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scripture must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man, wearing nothing but a linen garment, was following Jesus when they seized him, and he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see what each would get. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right hand and one on his left. And at the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why, why have you forsaken me? When someone, some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar and put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. So, thank you, David. I'll just pray for Katie before she uh, speaks, if that's okay. messed everything up so Father we thank you for Katie we just pray that you will use her that your words will flow through her that which is of you will be magnified and pierce our hearts Amen so earlier in the service Paul started us having a little recap of the stories that have happened so far over this summer and I want us to just quickly touch on those stories so we know where we're starting from this morning. We started with reaching hands. This is Jesus reaching out to touch the leper. He touched the untouchable man and the response from that man was to talk about Jesus, the man he had met who had healed him, had changed his life. Jesus' hands reaching out to touch the untouchable. 
The next week we had sharing hands when Jesus fed the crowd. And he had been teaching them for a number of days before that. And before he sent them home, he needed to meet their needs physically. It wasn't just their spiritual needs, but their tummies were rumbling and their physical needs needed meeting too. The week after we had welcoming hands, this is the week where Jesus shows us that the kingdom of God's values are upside down compared to those of the world. The greatest is the least, and the least amongst you will be the servant to all. This is where Jesus says, I will welcome the children to me in a way that everybody else was throwing them away. The next week we had giving hands. This is where we looked at the rich man and that widow and their offering. And we thought about the attitude towards giving and how important that was. And last week we had loving hands. Loving God and loving our neighbour. How we need to put our wills into action to do the loving when it seems uncomfortable. And so we come to this week hurting hands. This is a familiar passage to us. And yet we sit here in the middle of August, well at the end of August, bank holiday, thinking, what, why are we doing this now? Surely this is something we do at Easter. We look at this story at Easter, we look at the hidden depths of the meanings, and I'm almost on holidays. This is too difficult for today. Well, I shall give you a reason, is that this series we're following, looking at hands, is actually holiday club material. That's the reason that we've been looking at these stories and the children are doing the same activities with the same stories out the back. It's because we're following through a theme of hands, of meeting Jesus. And I don't know about you, but every holiday club that I've ever been involved with has always got this story. Round about day four or day five, we're introduced to Jesus and that he loves us and that all these amazing things happened. But we have to get to the point where the crucifixion is told, the story of the gospel message. And so today we come to that critical point in the series of stories. And so my challenge for us as we go from church today is to think about how well we know the story. And I'm sure you're all sitting there thinking, well that's great Katie, oh bank holiday weekend, that's just the sort of challenge I need. How well do I know the story? Well, I can tick that box already. I know the story really, really well. So I'll tick that box, have a little snooze now while you carry on and tell everybody else who's maybe a bit shaky on it. And, and then we'll go home and I can say, Sunday for me, I've done that today. Well, perhaps that would be too simple. That would be too straightforward. So maybe I should tweak my challenge slightly. How well do you know the story? If you were to tell it to somebody else, that 
changes it slightly, doesn't it? How well do you know the story that has given you life, that has changed the way that you see the world in order to introduce somebody else to Jesus, in order to share that gospel story to change another life? How confident are you in doing that? You see, today's society doesn't know the story. In the past, maybe people would be more willing to come along to things like Sunday schools. It was taught as part of religious education in schools. And nowadays, that very rarely happens. People don't see the story. They don't hear the story. They don't know the story. It reminds me of a time back in a previous church when I was leading a little group doing some drama and they were going to present it in church and it was all about hands and it spoke of God giving us hands to love each other and I thought I know let's do this I'll have a little practice at the youth club and then anybody who turns up they can just join in very simple, it's just a mime. So I, I got them all standing there, number from the church, number from the youth club. Let's have hands to love and hands to protect and hands to care. And then we've misused our hands. So the hands that we're loving now hate and the land, hands that we're protecting now ignore. The hands that we're caring walk away. And I was directing, and they were making all these lovely miming actions. And I said, right, now somebody needs to be Jesus. So some, somebody volunteered to be Jesus. I said, now, Jesus, I need you to come into the midst of this and bring your hands so that you can show what God's kingdom value is, how your hands were made for loving and protecting and caring. And then I want the rest of you around to grab Jesus' hands and to put them out as though he was on the cross. So they did that. And then I said, now Jesus, let's have a bit of direction for you. What I need you to do is to look like you're in great pain and to struggle a bit and then to die. And at that point, a little lad stood next to me, turned around and said, you can't do that! And I thought, oh my goodness, what have I done? Have I... And he looked at me and he said, you can't kill God. And I was amazed because this lad who came to the youth club didn't know the story. He didn't know that that's what had happened. And he certainly didn't know what came next. To him, the idea of killing God was something that shouldn't be done. And we certainly shouldn't be putting it in a drama and showing it to other people. That was the wrong thing to do. And yet... That's what happens. People don't know the story. But we do. So what I've done is I've divided it up into five sections for us this morning to help us tell the story. First of all, we need to know about God's plan. Because God's plan was for us to be connected to him. That's what his desire is. That's what his desire was. He's always, always, the original plan is that we are connected to God. 
Why do we want to be connected to God? In Jeremiah 29 verse 11 it says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good, not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. That's what God's plans for us are. He has plans. They are good. They give us hope. They give us a future. That's what being connected to God is all about. Think about that leper, the untouchable. Think about the hungry crowds. They wanted connection with Jesus, with God. They sought it and they received their reward. God wants to have a connection with us. But the second stage of that, number two, is our problem. Because we have become disconnected from God. It's not the other way around. God didn't disconnect himself from us. We did it. It's our fault. We disconnected ourselves from God. How do we do that? Well, it's that little word, sin. Now, we all know here what sin is, what sin means, what that little word that means so much, what it's all about. But just like the world and our society doesn't know the story, they probably don't really know what the word sin is all about. So you need to use words like rebellion, about selfishness, about disconnecting ourselves from God. The things that we do that drive us away from God. Think about the disciples when they were squabbling over who is the greatest. And Jesus said, actually the children can come. Don't worry yourselves about who's the greatest amongst you. That wasn't really their finest hour. Isaiah 53 says, All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord's laid on him the sins of us all. We've become disconnected from God. Now I could go into a big explanation now about sin and the problems that it causes. In fact, I've got a slide, but we're going to skip over that because it's too much for today. We'll be here for hours. But sin is a big problem. It pollutes our lives. It has power over us and it's addictive. There's a penalty involved. It breaks our connection with God. Any of you that have children or have got grandchildren, and know what you do when they're naughty. We've got a little system in our house called the Naughty Step. The Naughty Step is about three steps up from the bottom of the steps, the stairs in our house. And when you are naughty, you go and sit on the Naughty Step for the required amount of time. The required amount of time changes according to your age, So you get one minute for every year. Every now and again, I think I'd quite like 40 minutes break, but they haven't sent me there just yet. But my children know that when they're naughty, that's the place they're going to have to go and sit. It's a place to consider the wrong things that have happened and to, to think about how the consequences are going to be worked out. But I'm sure 
your experience is similar to ours, that when your child is sat on the naughty step, very quickly it can become a haven of delight, a place of fun and frolicking. The banisters have become a climbing frame. The carpet has an ecosystem yet undiscovered by man. And suddenly the naughty step is the most exciting place to be in the world, despite my best efforts. And they're there and they aren't really doing the thinking that maybe I had thought about. It's up to me to maybe go and refocus their attention, to think about why they're there. And the time comes when their allotted time is up, when I will go back to them and I will say, are you sorry? Do you realise what you've done? Have you got some way to deal with the consequences of your actions? And when we've worked through that, then I invite them to come off the naughty step. They can't choose to come off for themselves. I have to invite them. You see... The third thing is our effort. And our effort is all about the strivings that we have in our life. We want to do things to reconnect ourselves to God. That rich young ruler who wanted to be assured of his place in heaven had done everything he could to satisfy his life. His life was good, his life was full, his life was rich, and yet Jesus saw that he was lacking something. His life wasn't complete. Our efforts in our lives to remake that connection with God is actually impossible because there's nothing that we can do to reconnect ourselves. And in some ways, this is the the great thing about Christianity because all of the other world religions actually rely on your effort. The most devout Muslim who prays five times a day every day of his life, who fasts regularly, who gives sacrificially, who makes that Mecca pilgrimage, he is not assured of a place in his heaven or connection with his God. He just hopes that his effort has been enough. And that's where Christianity differs. All the other world religions have something which says, if you do enough, then maybe. And Christianity says, it doesn't matter how much you do, you can't. It's not down to you. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. God's salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so no one can boast about it. There's nothing we can do to reconnect ourselves to God. So there's nothing that we can do. What's number four? Number four is God's solution. God knows that there's nothing we can do. And so instead of punishing us, he punished Jesus. If I was to go through that whole sin sermon, we'd come onto the cross and how the cross deals with all the problems that sin poses for us. Jesus' blood purifies us from the pollution that sin causes. 
Jesus' death redeems us. It removes the power that sin has over us by paying the debt. Jesus' death justifies us. It pays the penalty that sin demands. Justice is served. It's just we didn't serve it. Jesus' death reconciles us to God. A new connection is possible. Over the summer, we had a bit of a problem with our TV and uh, the, the picture kept coming and going. When the weather was bad, it was really bad and you couldn't really see anything at all. There were certain channels that would just disappear completely and we thought, oh my goodness, what's going on? What's happened here? So we checked the TV, but the TV's quite new, so we knew it wasn't going to be the TV. So we had a look at the aerial, but actually the aerial's only recently been installed and we know the aerial's quite good. So we thought it must be something to do with the wire between the aerial and the TV. And when we had a look, that wire had been broken in about five, six places. And at various points, people had tried to mend it or stick it back together or put another bit of wire in to make it work. And what we decided was that we needed to sort it out. But the only way to really sort it out properly was to put a whole new wire in, to put a new wire that connected from the TV aerial, where the reception was good, and to connect it all the way down through the house into the TV. So there was a direct connection. Jesus' death on the cross is not about mending some old half-broken connection that we had with God. It's a make, making a brand new one. It's all about a brand new wire, a new connection with God. It's at that point when we realise the problem that we're in. We know God's plan for our life, to give us a hope and a future for good plans. We recognise our problem and the entrapment that we face from sin. We realise that our effort actually has no effect. It doesn't make the difference. We look at God's solution. That famous verse in John 3.16, which most holiday clubs get to learn. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God made a new connection to us through Jesus and his death on the cross. So it's our response. How do we respond to that? It's down to us as to what we're going to do. God has come and said, I've dealt with the problem. You can come off the naughty step now. But have we become accustomed to the naughty step have we found a place that is comfortable and a place where we feel secure? And actually to come off seems like a terrifying idea. And yet we're missing the most amazing connection with God. We have the opportunity to come off the step to respond to God. 
John 1 verse 12, it says, To all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. It's over to us, for us to make a response. God's done his bits. Have we done ours? I was very struck in the reading by the sign over the cross that read, The King of the Jews. Because a lot of the people who saw the crucifixion dismissed the sign, or they thought it was a joke, even though it was telling the truth. And Christianity in our society is often treated the same way. It's just dismissed, or it's treated as a joke. We have got a responsibility to share that message, to take it out, to be ready in season and out of season to give an answer. I read that bit in the Bible so many times and yet over this week I was struck by the fact that when you're gardening you know that there's a time to plant the seeds and if you don't plant them then, then your plants won't grow right. You can't plant them at the wrong time of year, otherwise it won't grow. Equally, you need to harvest it at the right time, otherwise your carrots go to seed and they taste horrible and your beans go brown and they're only actually good for making seeds out of and you can't eat them at all. And I was struck by the fact that we talk about this message of the gospel and being ready to give it. But when was it last the season for harvest? When was it last the time when we should have been sharing the message? And did we ignore it? Did we dismiss it? Did we say, no, I think it's time to plough or plant? It's too scary to share. We need to be ready. We need to work at finding a way of telling that story. God's plan, our problem, our efforts, God's solution, our response. And as I finish, I want to just tell you a little something that happened while we were on holiday. And you're looking at me thinking, oh, she's at the front, she knows how this, she probably does that all the time. And there's a lady, I had to go to the laundromat to sort out some clothes. And a lady came in and we started chatting. And as she started chatting, don't know why, she started telling me her life story. And the more she told me, the more inside of me I went, I've got to pray for this lady. But I was afraid. She told me about her uncle who was unwell, her mother who was unwell. And every time I had this little voice, Pray with this lady. Pray with this lady. And I kept going, no, it's too embarrassing. I can't do this. And then she told me about the problems with her own life and the things. And in the end, I thought, oh, for goodness sake, I'm just going to have to take my courage into my hands and offer to pray with a complete stranger and hope that I never see her again. And I said, I'm sorry if this is a little bit embarrassing for you because I'm feeling a little bit embarrassed, but you've been sharing some of your story with me, and I'd just like the opportunity to pray with you if you'd let me. And there was that horrible pause where you think they're going to run out of the room and leave their washing, and you'll stand there looking like a melon. And she turned to me and she said, 
oh, that's lovely, I'm a Christian too. And I thought, what a complete idiot I was. <laughs> because actually it needn't have been scary. Now, I was able to pray with that lady and actually it turns out that she's not been going to church for probably about five or six years. And because we prayed together, she said, you know, I really think I ought to go back to church. And you praying with me today has made me think about it again. And maybe I'll go. And I was thinking, oh, that's what God was trying to tell me. But I was so overwhelmed with the fear of praying with a complete stranger. I'm glad I did. I don't know how it'll turn out because I didn't see her again. But we need to be ready to share the story. Are you ready? Thank you, Katie. This isn't my testimony in a minute, but I was at a wedding on Friday. My mother had been invited to her great-niece's wedding, and I went as her guest. She was invited with one guest. Um, It was a lovely wedding, um, and during the service, the bride and groom both lit candles for people who couldn't be there, because the bride had lost her brother. He died uh, in his teens, her brother Matthew. Uh, It was a lovely day, and during the course of the day, I overheard a conversation between one of Matthew's school friends, who's now in his 20s, and the bride's father, Clive. And the bit I overheard went something like this. I'm an atheist, Clive. I was a Muslim, but I've given that up. I really loved Matthew. We were even bullied by the same people at school. I know he's in heaven. He's an atheist, this chap. I'd really like to see him in heaven. And all Clive was doing was listening. And I, was just, I just caught this snippet, and I just felt compelled to go up and, I, and put my hand on this, this boy's shoulder and say, I really feel for you, and I want to pray for you. But I'm going to leave you now with Clive. And I just went away. So I'm going to find out the name of this atheist Muslim who wants to be in heaven with a lad who was a lovely lad he knew was a Christian and I just want to say to you I think God's saying don't label people if somebody says an atheist nothing's impossible for God you don't know what he's doing in people's lives thank you yeah just just come up please we're family we're friends we're just trying to bless one another it's not a testimony either Um, Just to say, we were at River Camp yesterday. Um, Has anybody been there or heard of it? No. Anyway, it's a Christian camp. Um, And in the evening, Heidi Baker was speaking. Um, Does anybody know Heidi Baker? Well, it's the first time I've ever seen or heard Heidi. And I don't know her story, but she lives in Mozambique. And God's obviously called her to go there and live with the, in the villages or in a village um, villages where they've never heard the name of Jesus before and um, anyway she, she told us lots and lots of stories and miracles that she's seeing and, um, but one particular thing um, that I've come away really challenged with and it sort of fits in with what you said um, in one of these villages there must have been a, what they call a dying tent and when the children are so ill they're, they're put in probably more than, 
you know, well, I think there were women there as well, maybe in men. They're put in this dying tent when they're so far gone <clears throat> that um, they just go there to die. And she was saying that the doctors um, go in with high boots and overalls and masks because these children are vomiting and defecating just, and that that's what they go there to do and then to die. And um, there were these two doctors by the door and, and Heidi felt that God was saying, I want you to go in there. And um, so she, she, she did, she went in. She saw these doctors standing there with all, all this covering on them. And, um, and one of them said, you go in there, you'll die. She said, no, I'm, no, I won't. She knew God had called her to go there. And she stepped into that tent without any protection on whatsoever. And she said, God, what do you want me to do? And he said, I want you to go to each one of these children. And I want you to hold them heart to heart, face to face. And I want you to hold them and love them. And she did that. And they were, she said they were just vomiting all over me. And it was like, but she said it was a privilege. And the, after the first week, a third of those children went out completely well. The second week, another third. And by the end of the third week, there was no one left in that dying tent. And all she'd done was hold them and love them. And they were healed. And I was really challenged because we came out um, and the, some of the porter cabin loos on these places, because I'm not a camper, um, one was really vile, the one nearest the sort of uh, the big tent. And to be in that loo was just really difficult because it was so smelly. And I thought, would I be able to be Jesus like she is? And I thought, no, I wouldn't actually. And yet I felt, listening to her story, that she was. She was Jesus. You know, she took the love of Jesus and it was the love of Jesus that healed those people. Um, and it just, it's left me really challenged. So, talking about reaching out hands, you know, I think, wow. Thanks, Sue. Yeah, come on. Anybody else, just form a queue quickly because time's getting on. Just come and sit on the front row and we'll hand the mic across in a moment. It's not quite as dramatic as that last testimony, but when we went to uh, the camp, we went to in the summer, we were really encouraged to, um, to really speak to people about the law because, like Katie said, they no longer come to church, they're no longer told the gospel, and we were encouraged to, and challenged to really walk the line of speaking the truth to people about Jesus and uh, to pray for them. And I went to a wedding, and um, I just went in the kitchen. I, God really uses little opportunities just to look for a jug. And I couldn't find it. And I came out again and I went back in because somebody said it's in the fridge. And I got talking to this young man and I thought he was one of the people who were doing the catering. And he said, no, he'd lived with this boy who was a Christian. And he was really challenged by him. But he, he didn't know where he stood. He didn't know where his life was going. And I took my courage in my hands and told him that God had got a plan for his life. And, he, and that if he sought God's will, then God would show him what his plan was. And, um, you know, I'm older now and it's always still a challenge to speak to people about the Lord and Chris and I were standing on our campsite and somebody started pouring out their life to us and we were able to pray with that person because we've been challenged again to speak the gospel to people God's working in people's lives all over the place and we need to make that connection for them Thank you Anybody else got anything they want to share before we move on? I encourage you all to uh, seriously think about how you tell your story 
and whether you've got a one minute, three minute, five minutes, cup of tea and cakes versions of them. Because people in this generation love stories. You just have to look at the movies and the TV and the book sales to know that people are addicted to stories. And no one's got a story like you. And you may think it's completely boring, but I can assure you, your testimony, how you came to faith and what God's done in your life, with you telling it, will be one of the most compelling, exciting stories anyone could ever hear. But let's continue our act of worship. And let us say that wonderful prayer that Jesus taught us to say together. So we say together, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. We continue with our intercessions and we think of the world. And we think of our friends in the world, like Rachel Carrick, who's having a horrible time out there and has asked for our prayer cover. We think of the floods in Pakistan. We think of the volcano that went off this morning. Um, I can't remember where that was. But, um, but you know the many things that are happening in the world. So just pray to God right now about the things that God puts on your heart, about the wider world. And now we bring our focus closer to home. We think of the country that we live in. We think of the leadership of the country. We think of the economic situation in the country. And especially this morning, we think of those that the gospel is just either a joke or ignoring. Think of somebody in particular known to you all or nationally known. And just ask God to reveal himself to them. And again, we bring the focus in closer and we think of our fellowship, our brothers and sisters who are part of Christchurch. Remember Sonia who's going off to um, Canada to the Bible College. Um, the many members of our congregation who are ill and under the weather or on holiday. Think of um, Tim and Kate as they're preparing to come, packing for England. for Joyce as she's working hard and uh, the other paid staff as they are getting ready for the new term. So pray for our brothers and sisters.
And finally, we bring the focus to ourselves. You know your needs. You know what you need God to do for you. And we are agreeing with one another that God will meet our needs. Maybe some of our wants as well, but definitely our needs. So just hang out with God. Tell him what you need. And the Bible says where two or more are gathered and pray in Jesus' name that God hears our prayers and answers our prayers. So Father, we thank you that you've heard us, that you've acknowledged us and that you will meet our needs. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for being with us this morning. Uh, we're going to dismiss you in a second. Um, we've deliberately done the notices at the end today. Um, just to make sure that we get them correct. So the ones that I need, know I need to tell you is the autumn church plan is available today on the book trolley, so you can see what's planned for the autumn. Um, second, you'll notice a cardboard box in the foyer area. We're putting together a non-perishable food parcel for Tim and Kate and their children when they arrive. Um, we'd ask that you, if you, you know, put a couple of extra tins or dried goods in your shopping this week and then pop them in the box so that we can really bless them as they arrive. Um, I don't know about you, but I know how much our cost of living has gone up and um, I know how little a vicar earns. So um, if we can bless them, I think that would be a good thing for us to do as family. We've got two weeks just to follow through on that before um, we need to have that ready. And then the kitchen extension, please continue to be careful in and around the building. Um, there are, like I say, a lot of work going on there this week, fitting and uh, things like that. Uh, final one I've got here is just to let you know that if you want to, I'm just telling you what I'm doing. On Friday, I'm going to Drayton Manor and I'm taking the kids to Drayton Manor. And if other families or people are saying, oh, we want something to do on Friday... You can come to Drayton Manor with us if you like. I can't pay for you all to go. I can't afford that. But uh, I did transfer my Tesco vouchers into Drayton Manor tickets. So, you know, I'll just let you know what I'm doing. If you want to join in, great. If you don't, great. And so it says at the end of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until that day when our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God who calls you is faithful. He will do this. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all of you. Go in peace. Have a great day. And be ready to give an answer in season and out of season. Amen.